This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Just south of Atlanta, there's this forest, hundreds of acres, and it's filled with ghosts. There are traces of the native Muscogee people who lived here once. They got driven off during the Trail of Tears. There are remnants of a prison farm where convicts grew vegetables and raised animals. There are burial grounds, too. But Madeline Thigpen of Capital B News, she's mostly concerned with the modern-day ghosts who haunt this forest. People who have been living off the grid in tents and tree houses for months. She went to go catch up with them a few days back. So when you go in there, there used to be like a gazebo and then a little kitchen that was constructed by the uh, Defend the Atlanta Forest protesters that have since been torn down. It looks a little bit like when you first drive in, there's like slabs of concrete. It looks like there's been like a recent demolition there. These signs of life have been demolished because the Atlanta police are attempting a kind of exorcism of this place. But that doesn't mean the ghosts have left. The people living here call themselves forest defenders, and they're trying to ensure this space stays wild. You can actually see where the forest defenders have set up tents. They have what they call like a living room. So there's like a large plastic tarp and underneath like seating and stuff where they have community events and stuff like that. Um, how many people are living in the forest now? I don't, I can't say exactly how many. The last time I was there, there were, I mean, there had to be at least 30 to 40 tents. I don't know how many people like live in each tent, but it's quite a few people. For these folks, the forest needs defending from what it may very well become next. One of the largest police training facilities in the country. Activists call this project Cop City. Developing now, fighting back a battle over unused land is causing a rift between Atlanta police and activists, and neither side seems to be backing down, at least anytime soon. Today, protesters are begging for local leaders to reconsider plans to build what they're calling Cop City. The DeKalb Forest is now set to become a new Atlanta police training facility. Something some Now, what began as protests has evolved into full-blown confrontation. Nearly a dozen protesters were arrested just in recent weeks. This is surveillance video capturing the moments that hundreds of protesters swarmed the construction site wearing camouflage and masks. Police say they threw bricks, large rocks, even Molotov cocktails. They also set fire to Dozens have been arrested. A protester was killed. A state trooper was shot, too. For a reporter like Madeline, it means accessing this public land and reporting on what's really happening there has become harder and harder. A few weeks ago, I want to say maybe two or three weeks ago, I went out there just to get some pictures of, like, the construction um, and what's going on 
and APD was out there just like guarding the construction site. The Atlanta Police Department. Yes, sorry. The Atlanta Police Department um, was out there guarding the construction site and they came up to me and they were like, you know, what are you doing here? Why are you taking pictures? There's a video on Twitter um, that one activist posted of APD basically saying, you know, you need, you, you guys need to get out of here, otherwise you're gonna get hit, you're gonna get hit with a bullet. Um, so law enforcement has sort of made their position very clear that they're not going to tolerate the protest movement in Wilani Forest. Today on the show, why the battle over Cop City is raging on. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's worth talking about how this police training facility, Cop City, entered the public imagination in the first place. It was 2021 when the Atlanta City Council voted 10 to 4 to lease much of the South River Forest to the Atlanta Police Foundation. At the time, the city was still recovering from racial justice protests after the killing of George Floyd, and a month later, Rayshard Brooks. It was the Atlanta Police Department itself that killed Brooks in the parking lot of a Wendy's where he'd been sleeping in his car. So when this project was announced, the public had questions about it. Madeline Thigpen says, if you go back and listen to the Atlanta City Council's hearings on this lease, plenty of people voiced concerns about what would become known as Cop City well before any construction equipment was rolled in. I'm calling to encourage the City Council to reconsider I'm calling to voice my opposition. And I'm calling to state my opposition to Councilmember Shepard's proposal to lease uh, the public land of the Atlanta Prison Farm to the privately owned, corporate funded Atlanta Police Foundation. The original vote had to be postponed because there was a significant amount of public opposition. Um, So the day that city council eventually did get to the vote, it was September 8th, 2021. Um, There was 17 hours of public comment that day. About 60% was against Cop City, um, the construction of Cop City. It was over a thousand people 
who uh, signed up to speak and they had to split up the city council meeting for two days to allow that many people um, the opportunity to call in. Why was it immediately kind of a lightning rod in this way? Well, I think it was for a couple of reasons. The police training facility has sort of gotten this reputation specifically among organizers that it's being used as a way to sort of placate the Atlanta Police Department, who, especially after the protests of 2020, there was a large you know, drop in morale. There was a large number of officers who were also quitting. Um, so when you go back to like the early statements made by the former mayor, she's talking about, you know, how this training facility will help them to retain officers. It'll also help them with recruitment um, and it'll help boost the morale in the Atlanta Police Department. It's interesting to hear people talk about a police training facility the way you'd talk about getting a pool table at some like tech firm <laughs> to, to retain employees. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, we hear a lot about the dilapidated facilities that the Atlanta Police Department and the Atlanta Fire and Rescue Department are currently using. But, you know, a lot of residents and a lot of organizers have been saying, you know, this money, we want it to be spent on things that are really going to help public safety that aren't policing. And this is $90 million, this facility, right? Yes. So $90 million is the total cost. $30 million will come from the taxpayers of the city of Atlanta. And then $60 million have to be raised by the Atlanta Police Foundation. The description of what will be in this facility, it's pretty vivid. I'm wondering if that was part of what animated people against it, because when you look at the plans, the initial idea, it was that, you know, we're going to build a mock village for police training, complete with a hotel and a nightclub and a convenience store. And the idea is that the police would use those facilities to basically learn how to respond in the real world. Also, you know, firefighters could learn how to drive the truck not on the city streets, but in a in an enclosed facility. But was that part of what captured people's attention? What really got people's attention was also the sort of like connection between the environmental justice and the racial justice components. So obviously this this is a massive green space. Atlanta has been losing a serious number of its trees in the past few years just because of development. Um, so this is a massive green space that people want to preserve. It's also a floodplain for the Chattahoochee River. If you live in Atlanta, you know that when it rains, there is always water everywhere because there are not proper like drainage within the city. So there's the environmental aspect, and then there's also the racial justice aspect, building these fake houses, fake apartments, fake nightclubs, all kinds of things for police to practice raids when the city of Atlanta already has a massive homelessness problem. Um, I spoke to a Georgia State student at a protest during the week of action, and he was saying that it's kind of despicable that the city is building, you know, fake housing when we were in downtown Atlanta across the street from Woodruff Park, which has a large homelessness population. He was like, you know, we can, I can look across the street and see all of these homeless people that the city isn't housing, but they're going to spend, you know, 30 million tax dollars, $90 million in total to build fake housing for the police to practice, you know, raids, 
all kinds of things that they're going to be um, using this training against civilians. So building this giant police training facility in this forested space, it seems to bring together a wide swath of protesters, environmental activists, people opposed to the police. And you said how at the city council meeting where they talked about what was going to happen here, 60% of the people who called in were against it. So how does a project like this get approved anyway? Yeah, that I mean, so honestly, it's been hard to get an answer from the mayor's office and a number of council people on, you know, why they voted for Cop City. The line specifically of the mayor's office is that, you know, this new facility is needed to assist in training the Atlanta Police Department. It's the narrative has shift from in order to boost police morale. It's now more like we need better police training in order to reduce uses of force against the community. But I think because of what we know based on what the Atlanta Police Foundation has put forth, what's going to be there, including, you know, canine unit kennels, another firing range, um, a Black Hawk helicopter pad. They're going to be testing some type of explosives. And then, of course, the mock city for police to practice raids. So that is why a lot of people are saying, well, how is this supporting police reform if, you know, a lot of the things that are on the plan to be built are, you know, violent tactics that will eventually be used against residents of the city of Atlanta and Georgia. After this lease was approved, dozens of forest defenders set up shop, hoping to prevent Cop City from being built at all. In the months since, police have gone in to clear this space twice. The first time was back in December. Five people were arrested, and they were charged with domestic terrorism. The second time was January 18th. That morning, as the cops were telling people to leave, shots were fired. The police say a protester named Manuel Tehran, who went by the name Tortuguita, took aim at a state trooper, who then returned fire. The forest defenders say Tortuguita was shot without warning. And Sean, this complex, this training center, it's really been marred by controversy since it was first proposed. And now, just this morning, we saw a shooting on that site, leaving one person dead and a state trooper injured. That state trooper was rushed into surgery here at Grady. That trooper is now out of surgery and is expected to recover. Madeline Thigpen was there the day of this encounter. Yes, it was early in the morning. Um... And I was actually on my way there just to talk to some forest defenders. I didn't know that there was going to be a clearing operation. Um, But so when I got there, the entire area was blocked off. An individual without warning shot a Georgia State Patrol trooper. Other law enforcement personnel returned fire in self-defense. The individual who fired upon law enforcement and shot the trooper was killed in the exchange of gunfire. They basically said, you know, you can't, pa- you can't pass, you can't go in here. There's been a shooting. Activists have now released the name of the victim of the police shooting, longtime activist Manuel Tehran, who went by the name Tortuguita. I had not met Tortuguita. Um, I had met forest defenders who knew them. The forest defender was actually the one who told me who it was that got killed. The, their name hadn't been released yet, but they sent me um, a message on Signal saying it was Tort. You know, Tort is the one that was killed. It just seems so shocking, like that this protest movement 
moved so suddenly into this violent place where a troopers injured, a protesters killed. It was shocking to me, definitely, but I do want to point to a um, an activist with the Atlanta Solidarity Fund. After the December clearing operation, they said that, you know, this is a clear escalation of violence and you know, we believe that this could lead to the death of a protester. That was about a month before Tortuguita was killed. So it was a shock for me, definitely, but there are definitely organizers and activists who, obviously they didn't expect this to happen, but they saw this escalation of violence coming. The attorney for Tortuguita's family says that an independent autopsy demonstrates their hands had been raised when they were shot and killed. After the break, more on the fallout from their death and what's next for Cop City. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. After Tortuguita was shot and killed and the forest defender's encampment was destroyed, did this dampen the protesters' resolve? I honestly, I would say it galvanized the movement more. Tonight, a look at the fallout from violent protests in downtown Atlanta over the future Atlanta Public Safety Training Center. Now, over the weekend, police arrested six people tied to the protests. They are now charged with domestic terrorism. Only one is from Georgia. Four had their bonds denied today. After Tortuguita was killed, there was a protest that started out as a vigil in downtown Atlanta. That is the protest that a lot of people have seen on TV where the uh, windows were smashed. There was a cop car set on fire. The windows were smashed at like a Wells Fargo bank because they are a donor of the Atlanta Police Foundation. And then windows were smashed at the Atlanta Police Foundation headquarters. Tortuguita Vive can be heard at Stop Cop City protests um, because they want to continue on Tortuguita's legacy by continuing to fight the construction of Cop City. Because the anti-Cop City movement has brought together such a wide range of stakeholders, defending the forest can look very different from day to day and from protester to protester. While some are content to camp out in the trees or march in the streets, others have thrown fireworks at police officers or set fire to construction equipment. The last time activists were destructive in this way, their actions coincided with a more run-of-the-mill gathering, a music festival for supporters of the Defend the Atlanta Forest movement. Folks were hanging out, sharing food, enjoying a bouncy house. There was a bunch of different artists. I know one of the artists that performed was Zach Fox, who's a pretty popular rapper. This music festival was like an all-day thing. So people had been out there, you know, coming in and out throughout the day. A mile away from the music festival is where the construction site where land clearing had begun. 
was, um, and a number of protesters entered the construction site um, and set fire to a number of the construction vehicles. I believe around 40 minutes later, Atlanta police entered the music festival and began to arrest a number of protesters. On what cause? Were they like, oh, we have video of you at the site? Or was it just... You know, something I've seen that the prosecution is saying is evidence that the people who were arrested were the same ones who entered the construction site is that they had mud on their shoes. If you've ever been out there, it like you leave with mud on your shoes no matter what part of the forest you're in. It's just like, um, it's a muddy area. Eventually, 35 people were detained and nearly two dozen were charged with domestic terrorism. Madeline says, those kind of charges, they're a big deal. Domestic terrorism is like a very serious charge in Georgia. It can carry, you know, a 35-year sentence. I don't, hmm. I don't know that it's likely that the majority of these charges will stick, but I just think that the fact that prosecutors are sort of just willing to use it at their discretion, even if none of these protesters are convicted of domestic terrorism, a lot of them have been denied bond. When you're obviously when you're in jail, like you can't go to work like this just really disrupts someone's entire life. I don't think that the point of these domestic terrorism charges is to get a conviction. This is a lot. It is. <laughs> there are a lot of arrests. There are there's a protester who's been killed. There's a state trooper who's been shot. I can't imagine this happening where I am and it not causing like a timeout, a pause to be like, hold it, what's happening here? <laughs> what are we discussing? What are, you know, what are, what's going on? So I wonder a little bit like the, the people who support the building of Cop City, how are they responding to all this? Um, well, I mean, it really depends. So there's the people that support, there's the people like, you know, Governor Kemp who are basically just straight up going after the protesters saying that they are, you know, domestic terrorists. They're causing all of these issues that the people of Georgia, the residents of Atlanta are against them. They don't want them here. They're all from outside. Um, yeah, I noticed that, th th this idea that these are all outside agitators. And then when Governor Kemp mentioned the protests or mentioned what's going on with Cop City at his state of the state, he didn't really even mention the protesters. He just mentioned backing the blue. Just this past weekend, when out-of-state rioters tried to bring violence to the streets of our capital city, state patrol, sheriff's deputies, and Atlanta police quickly brought peace and order. That's just the latest example why here in Georgia, we will always back the blue. Yeah, and I think that's really... I think that's really what is behind a lot of the support for Cop City. It's about supporting the police. Um, and a lot of them are coming at it from the angle of we need this for police reform because it's going to help black people who live in this this part of DeKalb County that's, you know, residents say is already over policed anyways. And then... At the same time, I know there's concern about crime in Atlanta, and that might play into how people feel about this. There's a widespread belief in Atlanta that crime is out of control. We see it from local media. We see it from um, 
residents. Here in Buckhead, we're forming our own city. We're establishing our own police force and we will eradicate crime. That is like a major factor behind the Buckhead cityhood movement. Bill White wants to shake up the city of Atlanta. White is leading a movement to split Atlanta's wealthiest neighborhood, Buckhead, from the city. Yeah, Buckhead, about a fifth of Atlanta lives in Buckhead, and it's a wealthier, whiter area that's trying to divorce itself from the larger city. Yes, Buckhead is about 40% of the city of Atlanta's tax base, so if they were to secede, it would cause a huge amount of problems for the city. And I I just want to highlight it's significantly wealthier than um, like parts of Atlanta that are like this in the southern part of the city. Atlanta has one of the highest like income inequality rates in the country. So, but also when we look at sort of crime, where it happens, who it happens to, it's mostly happening to black residents. So the push for Buckhead cityhood and also cop city, I honestly would say are connected to this massive fear about an increase in crime and specifically violent crime in Atlanta. Could the city council of Atlanta come in and just be like, oh, we're not going to do this anymore? Yeah, so the city council has the ability to cancel the lease at any time, and the mayor has the ability to cancel the lease at any time. I think the city council would have to pass a resolution, and the mayor could just sort of do it unilaterally. They have the power, too. It's about the will. Madeline, thank you so much for joining the show. I'm really grateful. Thank you for having me. Madeline Thigpen covers criminal justice for the Capitol B in Atlanta. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Elena Schwartz, Madeline Ducharme, and Anna Phillips. We are getting a ton of support these days from Laura Spencer. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Go track me down on Twitter. Say hello. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. Catch you tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.